Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 3 in Romans chapter 8 in a Bible study that I've entitled Temporary Trials. That has been the topic of our time in 1 Peter so far. We'll pick up in verse 3 for by way of review. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now... If for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The topic of Peter's letter is he writes pastorally is to a group of hurting people undergoing some of the worst persecution, if not the worst persecution, trials and tribulations, distresses, difficulties that they've ever experienced in their life. And I'm certain in some cases, those listening to me right now, you're experiencing the worst trials and tribulations and difficulties you've ever experienced in the totality of your life. And because it hurts so much and it's so tough, and so difficult, layer upon layer, difficulty upon difficulty, there is that thought that as Christians we shouldn't have to suffer that much. That somehow because of our relationship with Jesus that we shouldn't have to suffer. We're Christians. We live in the United States of America. We should be immune to suffering. We're a blessed people, born into a blessed nation. And it is true we're living in an incredible time in history. And it is true that we've been given the opportunity to live in a tremendous country with incredible freedoms and prosperity like no other. We get to see the gospel go forth with power and effectiveness. But understand, everyone, everywhere, if you're taking notes, remember this, everyone, everywhere suffers. In every culture, Those that believe in God, those that don't believe in God. Those that are strong in faith, those are weak in faith. Everyone, everywhere suffers. Especially the believer. Not a pass to the follower of Christ, but especially the Bible teaches us in this theology of suffering that the believer especially suffers. There is a uniqueness of suffering that comes only and is experienced only by the believer. As we'll learn later in Peter, don't think it strange considering the fiery trial. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer 
persecution. Jesus himself teaches us, in this world, these things I've spoken to you, because in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. You and I are going to suffer in this world. Sometimes it will be because of our own faults and failures, our own sinful decisions. Sometimes it will be because of the sins and failures of others that are close to us or the effects of life and the effects of other sinful behavior. And the root of all suffering is sin and the effects of sin in the world. Come with me now to Romans chapter 8. We covered the genuineness of our faith last time, but I want to emphasize for us tonight that our trials are temporary. If for a little while, Peter, Peter says, it's a little while. We'll understand the perspective now as the Holy Spirit writes to the church in Rome. And in Romans chapter 8, notice with me in verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we, what does your Bible say? Say it out loud. Suffer. If we suffer with him, it's part of our inheritance. You were born again into a life of suffering. Now, of course, you may have been born again out of a life of suffering into a new life of suffering, but it's different now. Because for the believer, there is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in what you're experiencing. There's an end to it, not only timely, not only is there a timely, you could say there's an end to it because our sufferings are temporary, but also there's an end to it because God is arranging and rearranging things for his purposes. But if we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're reminded that our sufferings are only temporary. A little while. Our sufferings of this present time. Suffering doesn't follow us into eternity. Paul says, I consider. Mark that word consider in verse 18. I considered it. It literally means to calculate or to reason, or to account. Up to this point in Romans 8, Paul's used this word 15 times. And he's used it because Christianity is a thinking man, a thinking woman's religion. It's not an emptiness of our minds and we don't stop thinking. No, rather we now begin to consider things in light of eternity. We have a new definition of things. Paul is saying, I understand the value of sufferings right now. Don't compare to what's up, up ahead. That any suffering for the name of Jesus Christ is a small price to pay for the gracious benefits received because of that suffering. We've spent all this time as a church family studying through the book of Hebrews, and the essence of the book of Hebrews is, look, hey, we're going through it, we're going through it. I don't think it's worth it to go through it, was on the mind of the Hebrew believers. I don't like what I'm going through right now. I don't like the pain. I don't like losing my reputation, losing money. I don't like losing my job. I don't like all this loss. I'm tired of the loss. 
And when you get tired of the loss and tired of paying the price and tired of the suffering, you even get to this place where you begin to think, is it only me? Is it ever going to end? Why is it always me? It feels like it's always me. And remember, you can also get so stuck in your pain that like Jacob, you can come to the wrong conclusion. Remember, Jacob was so caught up in his pain and his potential loss that he concluded that God was against him. Little did he know that just up ahead was the greatest blessing and benefit of his entire life. But right before the blessing was this thought of God is against me. Why? Because of the pain that he was experiencing presently. Hold your places in Romans. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Part of Paul's considering was his own personal experience. You and I, we have our own personal experiences as well. We don't define our Christian lives by our personal experiences. However, they are ours, and we have gone through things. Well, Paul went through things too. So as he begins to look at his life and remember the things that he went through, well, consider some of the things that he went through. Pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. These are a few things that Paul lived through. The church in Corinth had turned their, some, many of the church in Corinth had turned their back on their pastor. They had turned their back and began to listen to false teachers taking advantage of them, began to fall to false teachings and false doctrines, began to accuse Paul of not caring or not hearing from God anymore. They were accusing Paul of not loving them and wanting to hurt them and come in heavy-handed. And as he's writing to them, he says, as he's referring to these particular people that had turned the church against him, he said in verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, verse 27, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold, nakedness, and besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? and I'm not weak. Who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Artemis, the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes and with a garrison desiring to apprehend me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. This is a small 
little picture of what Paul endured for the gospel. These are the things that at each line you could say, do you want to quit yet, Paul? Do you want to quit yet? They don't even love you. They don't even care about you. And as you study carefully the life of Paul moving forward, you'll notice that the longer he was in ministry, the more pain that he suffered. The longer that he served in the calling that God had upon him, the more he suffered. The more people abandoned him. The more people betrayed him. The more as he began to God was weaving down and bringing him to a place where his dependence was upon God and God alone. So you come back to Romans chapter 8 and Paul understands, I've considered it, Paul says. I've thought about this. I'm not just writing it. I'm not just trying to give you something you can put on a calendar or put on a a memory verse. This is something I've seriously considered. I've taken it to heart. And the things that we're going through right now, this present time, don't compare. They're not even worthy to have a comparison with the eternal glory that will be revealed in us. What's up ahead is more valuable than what's happening now. And you see, there just are those times where circumstances and situations get you to a place where you have to evaluate your life. Where you look at your life and go, yeah, I've been through this, and I've been through this, and I've been through this. And you have to weigh and consider and go, you know, there's even times where you go, I don't even think it's worth it. And yet the Holy Spirit says, no, it is worth it. It doesn't even compare. What you're going through right now it doesn't even compare to what's up ahead. It doesn't even compare to the weight of the glory of being in the presence of God. Every tear wiped away, every pain removed. New bodies, new lives, and eternity with Jesus Christ who lived for us and died for us. And Paul, in his response to the church, didn't defend himself. He just says, look, I want you guys, just consider something before you listen to those guys. You know me, and you know what I've gone through, but in case you've forgotten, and he begins to list out. And who knows at what point the church is going, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, re- yeah, I, rem- I remember. I remember he came here and he was already wounded and bloody. I remember he had the scars. I remember I could see it in his eyes. I remember the time he took to pray with me. I remember the time he came to my house. Yeah, I remember. Paul says, look, I'm not saying this lightly. I've taken this to heart. And it's humbling when we consider the price that just our brother Paul paid to be a minister of the gospel. If we were to take the time to write out the things that we have suffered, it wouldn't compare to that list. We haven't been there yet. We're not, we're not in eternity yet, so you don't know what's around the corner, but we aren't there yet. God put Paul in the scripture. God uses Paul's life to encourage us that if it was temporary for him, then it's also temporary for us. We need perspective, church. When it comes to trials and difficulties, we need perspective. We have a tendency to lose perspective and get caught up in our own world and be focused on the the temporary focused moment. And we become isolated in our own pain and our own, we need perspective. The story is told of a pastor, his name was Floresu, and let me share it with you. The communist tortures came towards Pastor Floresu again this time with red-hot iron pokers. Who else believes as you do? Give us their names. But the pastor would not speak. They had already cut him again and again with knives and beaten him very badly. And when he refused to cooperate, he was returned to his cell. It was in his cell 
that starving rats were driven in through a large pipe. And he could not sleep all night having to defend himself from these rats at all times. If he rested just for a moment, the rats would attack him. And still he remained silent. In the end of his torture, they brought his 14-year-old son. And they began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying they would beat him until the pastor told them what they wanted to know. And the poor man, his pastor was half crazy, it says. And he bored as long as he could. But when he could stand it no more, he cried out to his son, Alexander, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beatings anymore. And his son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a dad. Withstand them. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. And at this, the communists became enraged and killed the young man for his unswerving faith in Jesus Christ. This was one example taken from a devotional called Jesus Freaks. It was printed many years ago, but the, time, the stories are timeless. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy or two. Modern day stories of martyrdom, not just from the Bible, but real life stories to give perspective, to remind us. Uh, a very cla- a classic that's in the public domain, uh, certainly you can download a PDF copy of it, is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it gives the history of the first generations of martyrdoms of those that rather than denounce Jesus Christ, paid the price for their faith with their lives. And so we read in the lives of the early church the needed perspective we are, that is necessary for us to continue on. As we learned in Acts chapter 14, it's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. And so it doesn't make sense, does it, for us to live a life to try to avoid trials and to maintain comfort and ease at whatever level that might be, to avoid persecution on a small scale perhaps, where you're just afraid to speak up for Jesus Christ in the workplace, just a small thing, or afraid to make the right decision knowing that it could cost you something, as it should cost you something in a world that hates Jesus Christ, in a culture that hates Jesus Christ, in a world system that the Bible declares in 1 John is anti-Christ. Remember John told us in the first century, already many, many antichrists have entered into the world. You know, there's such excitement about the antichrist, capital A. Who is he? And when will he come? Before or after the rapture? Everybody's talking about capital A antichrist. But before capital A antichrist is revealed, the Bible wants to remind us, church, that many antichrists exist. There are many systems and people put in place to replace Jesus, to come against Jesus. And there's nothing that the church can do, there's nothing that believers can do that will appease the hostility of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will stop the hostility toward Jesus Christ is when a man or a woman repents of their sins and and they are born again, changed from the inside out. Otherwise, unbelievers... Are a, they are blinded in their sin and they hate God. There's just no other way. Even those that would say, well, they're very good moral people, but are they born again? Well, they do very good things. They're very benevolent and they give of their billions of dollars into various causes. Okay, but are they born again? 
You know, you can funnel billions of dollars into building colleges and libraries and never, ever save a soul. But you know, the gospel is free and souls are saved everywhere by the testimony of a man and a woman living life, especially in the fire. That's where people's attention, that's where people, that's where God gets people's attention is when they, when he puts a man or a woman that follows him in the fire. Where people are watching you and they don't even, you don't even know who's watching you. You don't even know who's watching from afar, trying to make life decisions of their own life based on your decisions because you're the believer. You're the one that says you follow God. You're the one that has the big black Bible on your desk. You're the one that's always inviting Christmas and Easter services. Yeah, yeah, they know, they recognize. You've committed to following Jesus, so their eyes are very in tune and their ears are very attuned to the believer on fire. And I don't mean excited for the things of the Lord, but I mean in a fire of great trial. You see, the sufferings that come to us, Paul says, these sufferings, this is a heavy word, by the way, if you come back to Romans 8, this word suffering is a heavy word. It speaks of Jesus' sufferings, but also our sufferings. Peter will later say in 1 Peter when we get there in chapter 5 that we all experience the same sufferings. We all experience, we have unique things, but we also have a shared suffering together as believers. Which reminds me in a time like this, in the world in which we live right now, what I believe this world needs is a church that's sensitive to the hurt and the pain that's in the world today. There's a lot of hurting people, even here today, but what they need is a church that's sensitive to the reconciling, comforting power of God. Our voices to be used to share the comfort and hope into a person's life. That's what the world needs, the light of the gospel. You begin to think, as I was re- re- remembering today, the woman that, would, that had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she was desperate and broke because she had tried everything. She had paid everyone. Everyone that promised a cure, she tried it to no avail. And after 12 years, there's a desperation in her. And she finds herself in the crowd, pressing through, and everybody's, I'm sure it's rustling, and everyone's feeling her to come through. And she presses in just enough to touch the hem of the garment. And what she needed at the time of Jesus was his compassion. You notice Jesus didn't turn around and give her a Bible study. Jesus didn't turn around and give her a theological explanation of what was going on. He, he, he addressed that power had left him. Isn't that great? That's what the world needs to see, the power of Jesus in the life of the believer. They're going through a trial. We're going through a trial. They're facing pandemic issues. We're facing pandemic issues. They, they have things that the government's doing to them. We have things that government's doing to us, but it's different. Because we are born again. We are new creations in Christ. We believe our eternity is secure. And we believe it when the Bible says that we consider the sufferings of this present time, they're temporary. They're not permanent. They're temporary. They're not even going to be compared to what we're going to experience. They're not even compared to the joy of having my sins forgiven. They don't even compare to the newness of life that God has given to me, that I'm a new creation. I'm not what I was. The old Ed is dead. I'm a new creator. I'm a new Ed. I have a new life. I have a new hope. I have a new future. This is the real world, church. 
And we minister to real people with real pain and real problems. And we have a real answer that not only can we give in the power of God's written word, but our lives can back up the effectiveness, the testimony. We are the testimony of the written word. And that's why in that segment of Christianity Day, it just makes me sick. And there's a few segments of Christianity that makes me sick to my stomach of uh, responding to trials as if to try to get out of them. Or there's another, you know, there's a whole group of church. If you're sick and you're, you're hurting today, it's your fault because you have no faith. And yet over and over again, I see Jesus ministering to the faithless. That's what pain does to a person. It steals your faith. It steals your hope. You get caught up in pain and sorrow and suffering and grief and your mind's all messed up. You feel like you got, got kicked in the gut. It's like, well, you have no faith. If you had faith and send me a hundred bucks, you'll be healed. No way. No, you come to Jesus as you are and he will meet you because even in your faithlessness, God remains faithful. God is not interested in you paying for special favor or some tenfold blessing if you just give and support. and No. God is ready to give himself to you and support you and establish you and help you get back up so you can go back into the world. You run right back into the world. Remember Paul? We read about Paul when he was stoned. As we saw, he was stoned. He was taken out of the city, left for dead. Everybody's around. All the believers are crying and praying over him. And Paul gets up. And what's the next thing he does? He goes back into the city. And that's what God wants to do when you get up from your pain. And when you're healed, and when you're strengthened, and when hope is restored, God says, get up and go back in. Get up and go back into the world. There are other people just like you to pray for and to reach and to minister. Look, the pain that we're going through now is temporary. It's not to be even compared to the glory that God has for us. God wants us to remember we're ministering to real needs, real suffering, real sorrow, real people suffering with real things, even that have a genuine growing faith in God. I see things and I hear things almost every day. If not a phone call, a voicemail. If not a voicemail, an email. If not an email, a text message. If not a text message, praying with somebody here in the fellowship at one of the services. Or reaching out even across the country. I, and the pastors here, it's not exclusive to me, the pastors, many of you as lay leader positions and servants, you experience so much pain, you hear so many difficult things. I can only speak for myself, but perhaps you can relate that it can cause you to be discouraged yourself to see the effect of sin, to see the effect of the consequences. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to someone where I, I just wish I could take the consequences away from their life. I just wish they never did what they did and never experienced what they experienced. But God is teaching them something that even that is redeemable. Even that brings restoration. They need to learn like I need to learn that their pain is temporary. And God is doing a work in them. God's doing a work in me. And together we're the body of Christ. 
And you could be going through something today where you're, you're, even begin to, you're even beginning to wonder, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with God? Why has he abandoned me? But Peter says no. Paul says no. Jesus says no. James says no. The testimony of the heroes of the faith is that what you're going through right now, what I'm facing today, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's up ahead. Not even worthy. And I'm sure if we ask some of the people in the hall of faith that we've been studying, you know, some of the people that we've been reading through in the scriptures, that their lives are recorded for us. If we had a chance to interview them up on the stage, have a time of testimony, and we got to ask them a question, we'd say, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? All that you went through, was it really worth it? It seems like at the end of the scriptures, you know, at the very least, you died and went into the presence of God. Was it worth it? I think they would all say it's worth it. I mean, think of Joseph. 13 years he spent in prison, falsely accused. That was after being thrown in a pit by his own family. His own brothers were jealous of him. Oh, the evil wickedness that jealousy creates in a person and creates in these brothers. They hated him, and they literally demonstrated it. Joseph went from the pit to the prison and to the palace But was that what was worth it? No. He ended up in the glory of God. 13 years. How about Moses? You could look at Moses' life and think, wow, you were born into slavery and yet God was was there with you. You got to grow up in the palace. But then you try to take things into your own hand and he spent a whole third of his life, a third of his life, 40 years for him, in the desert, alone, isolated, we don't, know, we don't have much written about those, those years. And God was going to teach him in the desert and undo everything that the world taught him in Egypt. Redo his thinking and reaffirm his faith. You're in the desert right now and you don't want to be in the desert. Who does? Year one, you know, you enter, if you enter into a desert experience, it usually goes something like this. Uh, well, you know, I can make it for a year. And you bite down, and you're like, all right. And you count the days. 200, 300, 361. You're almost there. 362, 365, it's been a year. 366, you wake up, and sand is falling in your face. And it's from one year to two years. And you go, what could possibly happen in isolation and loneliness? And what could happen in times of the desert? Well, ask Moses. He would tell you that he got a lesson and a schooling. He got schooling. You know, people are heading off to Bible college. People are having off to seminary. People are having off to university. Those are all great. But some of you have been called to head off to the desert. The school of what you could say hard knocks. That God is teaching you and undoing your philosophy and undoing what you've learned so that you, he could use you in a fresh way. He could do a work in you. It's never too late to turn your life over to the Lord, even in the desert. How about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Young, thriving young men, snatched away, kidnapped, indoctrinated in the world system to become high up leaders in Babylon. 
their names changed, their, their thinkings changed, their culture changing so that they would no longer have a connection to the God of all the universe. And when they refused to bow down, their reward was to be thrown into the fiery furnace, which in and of itself, nobody survives that. Nobody survives that. But they came out of the fire. And you Bible students know that a careful reading of what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they bound them up first and threw them into the pit. But when they came out, those that was, those, that, those that, that was which was binding them was loosed. The cords, the ropes, whatever they used to tie them up, they were loosed and free. Here's what happens in your life and mine in these temporary trials. This is what's happening right now. As you yield to the final full work. You think someone else has control over you, but they don't have control over you that God didn't first allow. Some of you think, well, I'm just at the hands of someone's decisions and I'm in the hands of their decisions. In, in one way in the human realm, certainly their decisions affect you greatly and bring great pain. But what's come into your life has not skipped by God. Everything in our life has been father filtered and he knows what we need and when we need it. You could say that even in our own fiery furnace, God's hand is on the thermostat of the heat, turning it up and down as needed in your life so that like gold, our faith will be more made genuine. And here's what's happening in the fiery trial that you're facing. I mean, you go into the pit and you go into the palace like Joseph and you've got to learn that God is faithful. You go into the desert for a third of your life a desert wandering experience like Moses so that you can learn God's wisdom is what you need. Not your wisdom, but God's wisdom. And then you find yourself being thrown into the fire, but God, he says, look, I'm gonna throw you into fire bound, but what the fires are gonna do, they're actually not gonna destroy you, but they're literally gonna destroy that which binds you. The addiction, the attitude, the, the fight that's in. You know, you're going, I'm just going to fight this. I'm going to fight this. And then God allows the fires to be turned up so that you might come out free. God wants to free you tonight because God is working even in the fire and God is working even in the desert and God is working even in the prison and the pit and the pain. Paul, when he says it, he means it. And many of you can agree with him. The sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to what God's going to reveal in us. You see, those who do not know Christ have no hope when they suffer. They have no clarity. I know in times of suffering as believers, we don't quite see everything. Everything's blurry and we're not quite sure. But when we, whatever we see through the blurry, it's kind of like the guy that was, you know, healed of his blindness, but it was healed in stages. He says, oh, I just see like, like just some movement. I see men like trees. And it, was, it touched him again. And he said, like, more clear, more clear. That's how it is in trials. First, you can't see anything. And then little by little, God says, oh, I see a little bit here. And I see a little bit here. And I see a little bit here. And then you begin a trial. You go, get me out, get me out. But in reality, it's through the trial. You go, oh, Lord take this out. Remove this from my life. Temporary. Temporary. You go, Ed, well, I've been going through the same thing for eight years. I know. Temporary. It's been 20 years. It's temporary. It's not even going to be worthy to be compared 
to what's up ahead and what God has for us in the future, what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Those who don't know Christ are hopeless. So they, when they see suffering, they don't produce spiritual blessing. They don't produce spiritual glory. Those that live only for this life can't look forward to their wrongs being made right, but you can. Those that live only in this life, they, they can't look forward to eternal comfort and a life without pain and sorrow. Their pain, their loneliness, their affliction so n- serve no eternal value and bring no divine reward. But Christian, you have great hope. Hope that soon your afflictions will end. Hope that God is working in you to bring about great changes. Hope that your suffering will add to your eternal glory. And in Hebrews, we learn in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into the presence behind the veil. Suffering, all of us would want to avoid it, but we can't. And until we're delivered from this body of death, suffering will be a part of our lives. You can say in many ways, we go from glory to glory, we go from strength to strength, and we go from suffering to suffering. No one's immune. Until we're delivered from this body of death, suffering is a part of our lives. And yet these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared. Let's close over in Matthew 25, would you? Would you turn over to Matthew 25 with me? Such a great section, so encouraging. Would you pick up there in verse 14? I want you to read it if you have your Bibles or flip over on your iPad or your phone. I want you to soak in these words, maybe highlight them, meditate meditate on the teachings of Jesus this week. Where Jesus says, In Matthew 25, verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And there he had received, the one that received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts. And verse 20, he who received five came and bought the five and said, Lord, I delivered to, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more. And his Lord said, mark these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also has received two talents, said, Lord, deliver me two talents. Look, I've gained two more. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And he who had received the one talent came, so Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what's yours. But his Lord said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I haven't sown, and you gather where I've not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, you would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who have abundance from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. I I really want to hear them. 
I want my life to matter all the way to the end. I want to encourage you to be careful in this world to not waste, it, waste your life on things that aren't eternal and waste your energy on things that don't matter. To misunderstand your master, to misunderstand Jesus like he's angry and frustrated and he wants to use you in such a way so you can be angry and frustrated too, but rather take what God has given you and multiply it. Tell somebody this week, would you? Tell somebody about the love of God in the midst of their crisis. I know it's easier to talk about other things. And other things are on the minds of other people. But remember, this is how you turn the conversation with every single person. This is how you turn the conversation. You don't have to know everything about current events. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. You don't have to see it. You don't, you don't have to get up, caught up in arguments and fight to defend God or defend your position. You know, here's how you turn any conversation. At the appropriate time when you sense the Holy Spirit gives you that open door, Say, well, I appreciate the time. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Changes everything. Is there anything I can pray for you about? It puts everything back onto a spiritual level. Because yeah, you might be talking to somebody with a real strong political opinion. Real strong. They've rehearsed it, read about it, and they're ready to go for it. This is how I believe. And they have a strong opinion, but they also suffer. They also have other issues in their life. And yeah, you talk to the person that their sports team's doing really well and they're all about it and they're going to share with it and they're going to, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they love sports, but they also have problems and family. So I was speaking to a sister earlier, you know, we all have family and we all have needs in our families. You always, man, you ask somebody to pray for them. So, oh, well, you know, I don't really have anything to pray about. Well, let me just do this. Let me just pray that God blesses you and encourages you in these troubling times. Let me just pray that God, he reveals himself in a wonderful way. So even if they turn you down, even if I don't want anybody to pray for me, well, let me just tell you, I'm going to pray for you because I love you and I care for you. I'm just going to pray that God blesses you and encourages you, that he reveals himself to you. And, and you, if you have the confidence, you can even say this, so that you can experience the peace of God like I've been able to the last week, two, month, whatever it might be in your life. You see, God has put us in the world to reflect his love and grace. Anything less is not going to last for eternity. And I want to lay before you today those, those words, such motivating, well done, good and faithful servant. What I entrusted to you, you were faithful. Isn't that great? Faithful. He doesn't say you have to be scholarly. He doesn't have to say you were rich. He doesn't say you, he, all the things that we separate on, and some people are more rich than others. Some of you are smarter than others. All, none of the things we separate, he says, no, I'm going to bring you to the place where we can all meet and be exactly the same. Faithful. Pastor Ed can be faithful. You can be faithful. And we can be in the faithful lines, a well done, good and faithful servant. Temporary trials, that's what they are, as God leads us to consider them and look forward to that. Well done, good and faithful servant. So it'll be a glorious time. It'll be a glorious time. We look back and go, oh Lord, I can see it all now. And you are faithful and worthy to be praised and worshiped for all of eternity. So Father, we ask uh, by the power of your spirit tonight, that the perspective of our trials, whatever they might be, 
would be brought into light of eternity. That we too would consider the things we're suffering now. And not just like, you know, say, well, God, if you get me out of them right now, then I'll, uh, then I'll follow you. No. No, God, you're getting me through them, and I follow you. You're getting me through them day by day. Thank you for that instruction, for the abiding. Like you want us to abide and to enjoy your presence. You're so good and gracious to us. And I pray for the pain in this room tonight the problems that are here, the family issues, the separation, the lack of reconciliation, the doubts, the fears, the bills, the political upheaval, the you name it. Just reminds us of our own weakness, God, and that your strength is made perfect in weakness. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. As, as Jill mentioned, repentance precedes refreshing. Repentance, it's a Bible word, but what it means is to turn away. Jesus Christ's message of love was a message of repentance. Here, here's what he said. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge your separation from God. And a flood of refreshing will come. Forgiveness and hope. And so today, if you need to repent of your sins and choose to receive the free gift of salvation, I want to invite you to do just that. And so where you are right now, if you're here in the room and you'd say, Ed, I want to follow Jesus with my life, would you stand to get today? I want to pray with you right here. Of course, listening online or, or watching online, listening on the radio, you can't do that with us, but I want to acknowledge you wherever you might be driving, kitchen. You might even be in prison. I mentioned Joseph in prison. That always, you might be in prison right now and God is reaching you through the walls, through the radio. God is calling you to repentance. But maybe in this room, God is calling you to repentance. We would love to be a part of it. And so today, if you want to turn your life away from your sin and turn toward following God, would you just stand to your feet so I could pray with you and I could lead you in a prayer to help you obey God tonight. It would be the pathway. It would be like opening the door and being born again. God bless you right there. I see you. God bless you guys in the back. Who else would say that's me? Today is the day. There's nothing hindering you. Nothing hindering you. Today is the day of salvation. So pastors, I don't know who's on this side of the room uh, over here, but we've got some over here. We've got somebody right here in the middle. Uh, if you want to come and just lay hands on them. Is there anyone else that I, didn't, I'm, I don't want to miss? Because I want you to feel that sense of the presence of God. Uh, I want you to know that you're not alone. Say A, B back there as well. Good. And I want, you to, I want you to know that God loves you in a real, very real way. That you can feel the tangible touch of Jesus Christ through, the, through his body, through his followers. And so I want you to pray with me because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So you can talk to God like this right now. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I'm asking you to forgive me 
of all my sin. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward, turning my life away from my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.